You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening. Hi, Joe. Now, sometimes as a preacher of God's Word, you have to bear some bad news. So here's some bad news to one person. I've been informed that if you have a white F-350 truck, that it's leaking some fluid. Is that anybody? Could be someone at CSN. So, yeah. All right, good. Well, not bad news. All right. But that, bad news for somebody. Well, that ties in kind of where I was starting anyway. So perfect segue. Because, see, here's where I was going to start. Is where do you turn in difficult times? Who do you turn to when times are difficult, when, when you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're unsure about the future? Who do you turn to when you don't have any money, all your money's run out, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills? Who do you turn to? When your marriage is falling apart, who do you turn to? When you've lost your job, who do you turn to? When your family has disowned you and wants nothing to do with you, Who do you turn to when your kids are disobedient or when you think you can't even live another day? Who do you turn to? Now we're Christians. So our obvious answer is Jesus. Oh, I turned to Jesus during all those times. But really, is that who we turn to whenever times are difficult? See, for me, if I'm honest, I don't always turn to Jesus right away. I think eventually I get there, but usually it's my wife, Adrian, has to tell me, did you pray about that? Did you read the Bible? Usually, in the hard times of my life, I turn to my wife rather than to Jesus first. Like uh, recently, we just got back from a two-week vacation to North Dakota. Adrian's sister got married. It was mostly good, but there are a few times that weren't good. Like a lot of you heard my dad was in a lawnmower accident that blew up, and he got lots of you know, third-degree burns on his body. Yeah, I turned to Jesus. I prayed to him, you know, read the Bible eventually, but my first person I turned to, my wife Adrian. When uh, not everything was good with my family, you know, my family's not all Christian, and they're going through hard times, and I can just kind of see their life going, like, I just wish they knew Jesus. And when I was all depressed about that, I turned to Adrian first. She tells me to pray and read the Bible. Or uh, when there's all this drama and stuff going on at the church with the transitions and what's going to happen here, Adrian comforts me. Now, Adrian, I'm very thankful for her. She's a godly wife. And she does, she helps, she points me to Jesus. But that's, I'm saying, a lot of times that's who I turn to when times are tough. Rather than looking to Jesus, I look to Adrian. And she'll point me there. So hopefully whoever you look to points you there. But not even when times are tough. is who do we turn to when times are good. Hey, when you got the promotion, when you got the raise, when you buy the new house, when you buy the new car, when you are married to a godly spouse, when you have a baby, when you have everything you need, who do you turn to when times are good? A friend, counselor, advice columns, pastors. Now, none of these things are bad. But we're supposed to turn to Jesus first. And think about who do you turn to really in a practical sense 
Who do you turn to when times are good, times are bad, whenever? Who are you looking at? Someone or something may be coming to mind. It's probably not Jesus. The problem is, a lot of times we look to everyone but Jesus. When things are going difficult, we look for advice. We look for someone to give us a word. We don't turn to Jesus and pray. I just heard on the radio the other day, the average Christian spends 45 seconds praying a day. Now that's not turning to Jesus. You're hearing something more than you're hearing from Jesus about whatever. So in a practical sense, yeah, we say we turn to Jesus, but who do we really turn to? Who do we look on? Who do we fix our eyes on in good times and in bad times? As a Christian, who do you turn to? As a church, as a body, the River Christian Fellowship, who are we going to look to when times are tough or when times are good? Now, as Christians, we know the answer is Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and focused on Jesus. But why? So that's what we're going to look in tonight is I want us to look at Jesus and to turn to him first and not need my wife to tell me to look to Jesus. Thank you for doing that. But I shouldn't have to have my wife tell me you need to pray. I should do that first. We should always look to Jesus, praying and read the Bible. So we're going to look at tonight is uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A lot of you might have these verses memorized, or at least parts of them, about where we should keep our eyes fixed. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, I'll just read it. It's only two verses, and then we'll dig in. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I didn't know I was going to be teaching tonight until earlier today. So I kind of have, on Sunday nights, I've been going through the book of Romans. That's kind of easy when you know where you're going in your teaching. I'm teaching through a book of the Bible. But when you have the entire Bible to pick from, what are you going to teach from? I struggled with that for a while. But this is what it came back to. Because in my mind, when I'm not looking to Jesus, these are the verses that come to me. Look onto Jesus. Fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So why look to Jesus? Why look to Him rather than our spouse, rather than pastors, rather than advice, rather than all these things? Why look to Jesus? First, it says that looking to Jesus is the only way we can lay aside every weight. We can only lay aside every weight by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So the exhortation here is that we lay aside every weight. We put it aside. I think here the the picture I get with this, I don't know if it fits exactly, is a you know, anyone here a power walker? You know, one of these power walkers where you, where you move your arms a lot, right? And if you're really, you know, if you're really good at power walking, you not only move your arms, but you have weights on it, right? So that it's harder for you to walk. And I picture that. Now, that's not a great illustration because you do that on purpose to gain strength. But it's also like if you play baseball and you put on the, the batting donut, they're called, this extra weight you put on your bat. So you can swing with the extra weight, and then as soon as you take it off, it's so much easier. So that's putting the weight on. But here it's telling us to take it off, because when you take off every weight, every burden, you can move much easier. You can move freely. So the burdens, lay aside every weight, lay aside every burden, the financial burdens. Where is money going to come from? Where are we going to pay for 
the next house payment? Where is our money coming from? How am I going to make ends meet? The burden of family, family, and that's, like I said, on the trip to North Dakota, all my family lives there. I was burdened by my family because most of them don't know Jesus. And I can just, because they're like me a few years ago, and I can see it now because God's opened my eyes. But we can have a heavy burden for our family, for our kids, whatever stage of life they're in. We're burdened by our kids, not in a bad way necessarily, but they're a burden. Church can be a huge burden. We know right now, church is probably on most of our minds if we're coming here. What, what is going to happen here? Work, school, and all these burdens, all these weights that we put aside, onto us. And it's telling us to lay it aside. But that sounds, to me, that's really trite. I mean, if I just come up here and say, hey, all these burdens, throw them away. You don't need them. You can't do that. We can't throw burdens off. All we do is put more burdens on. And whenever we think we get rid of a burden, we're just adding more burdens. We're adding more weight to us. Really, in our sinful, with our sinful nature, all we can really do is take on more burden. Whatever we think we're getting rid of is just space for more burden. That's what we do. Because what's the common denominator in our burden, in our weight we're carrying with us? It's us. Whatever burden we get rid of, we have the burden of ourself to deal with, the burden of our sin and our failures and our shortcomings. We're still stuck with that, and we'll never be rid of that burden. So if we need to lay aside our burdens and lay aside our weight, there's only one person who can, and that's Jesus. Because without Jesus, another burden just takes, a, takes its place, because the main burden is you, and you need a new self that only Jesus can give you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because psychology would tell us, and you know, modern medicine and all this, is that we need to change our behavior. We need to modify our behavior. We need to just get better, be better versions of who you are. And your flaws are going to be you. And your burdens are just going to be something you have to deal with. But only Jesus says, no, he says, behold, I've made all things new. All things new. Your entire self will become new through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just make you a better old version. You don't put the old wine into new wineskins. You get brand new wineskin. You get a brand new self. And He changes your desires. He changes your motives. And the things that may have been burdensome at one time are not. But they probably still are. But we only can remove those burdens, only lay them aside because of Jesus, because the power, because the power of the gospel, because Christianity is not morality. It's not just try harder. It's not just do better. It's Jesus changes you. The Holy Spirit changes you. And the Holy Spirit can help you put those burdens aside. And instead, He changes you and you get a new burden, a new weight. One that we can handle. Because, like I said, the common denominator in our burdens is us. Because a lot of times what we're burdened with, if it's money or work or school or family... It's in some way to glorify our own name, to raise ourselves, to get more prestige, more money, more power. In some ways, a lot of times it's centered around our own desires, why we take on these burdens. But our name is not worthy of glory. Ourselves are not worthy of glory. Ourselves are not worthy of taking on these extra burdens. But Jesus gives you a new burden or a new weight, which is his mission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And you have a new way that presses on you, that drives you forward in the gospel to do what Jesus has asked of you because he loved you first. 
And rather than being caught up in the money and in the work and in the power, you get caught up on Jesus' mission, moving forward as a body in Christ together by the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus as the head. And you get a new burden. And it's for His glory. And it's when, when it's for His glory, His name is worthy of that glory. His name can handle those. And your name can't. Your name can't handle those burdens. Your name is not worthy of those burdens. Only Jesus is. So we can only lay aside our burdens or our weight when we're looking at Jesus. We can't keep our eyes on Jesus when our eyes are on our own burdens. When we're looking at all the problems and all the weight and all the burdens in our life, we're not looking at Jesus. You can't look at both at the same time. I think about... uh, I, I, I go through a lot of pairs of shoes as I like to walk a lot and they always get a hole in the same spot. Every like I've gotten three shoes of the same pair that get a hole in the same spot. I need to stop buying those shoes. But they always get a hole in the same spot. Whenever that happens, I usually, I love going for a walk because I get to pray and I get to think about things and it's a good time to give Adrian a break because I take the kids, I got the big double stroller. And uh, so maybe... Sometimes, uh, one time some people saw me like walking down the highway here and I looked insane. I always think I look crazy walking kids down a highway. I don't know. But I like to go for walks. But when my shoes start to get that hole in it, I don't really enjoy it that much because I'm, I'm supposed to be praying. I'm supposed to be thinking about Jesus and what I need to do and thinking about sermons and all that. But when the hole gets in my shoe, all I think about is my feet. If you've seen, I'm not going to take my shoe off, but if you see the bottom of my feet, they're nasty. I got blisters all over and I got uh, calluses all over. My daughter, Nora, calls me stinky foot now. I don't think they stink, but they just look disgusting. Because all I think about is my feet. The burden of my feet is distracting me from what should be going on in my head. So when we think about our burden, what is bother, where's our money coming from? How am I going to advance at work? How am I going to fix my family? When we're focused on that prominently, when that's our main focus, We're also not focused on Jesus. Jesus says to cast my cares on me because he can take it. He can can handle it. So it's only by giving your burdens to Jesus that we can lay them aside. And it's still not easy. Like I said, I can't tell you, oh, just throw off your burdens, throw them aside. Because that's that's what takes up so much of our mind. But that's when we look to Jesus. Whenever I'm caught up in my burdens, my stress, my problems, these are the verses that go through my head. Fix my eyes on Jesus. When it's about Jesus then I can handle it. Then money's not as important. Then my job's not as important. Then the drama at church is not as important when it's about Jesus, looking at Jesus. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. Then we lay aside our weight. And then it says, we lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We can only lay aside that sin, again, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It says that, that sin ensnares us. And the, the word in Greek here for ensnares, I don't know if this is the best translation, but it's a word that uh, describes when someone encircles someone who's trying to advance, it's someone who's trying to walk forward and that person gets encircled so they can't move anymore. That's what it's describing sin. It says in other translations, which clings so close to us, which surrounds us, we could say which ensnares us. So the picture here is someone trying to run their race. Like it says, as we run the race that's set before us, we're trying to move forward in the gospel, trying to move forward in Jesus. But sin surrounds us and sin clings to us and sin stops us from moving forward. 
And we know this because this is what sin does. Sin stops us from moving forward. Because sin is a lot of times connected to idolatry and false idols. Having something else, the center of your life, that's at that moment more important to you than Jesus. If you're choosing sin over Jesus, that thing at that moment is more important to you than him at that moment. If you know it's wrong and you continue to do it, it's more important to you than Jesus. And false idols don't give you anything. All they do is take. They demand a sacrifice. If you want to have your life centered around your job, your job's going to ask you to sacrifice something. Probably your family, maybe your health. If you want to surround, have an idol of sex, if that's going to ask you to sacrifice something, probably your marriage, you're going to have to make some sort of sacrifice. Sin stops you from moving forward. Sin keeps you where you are because it requires your time. You take up your time in your sin because that's what we like to do. It requires our money sometimes. We have to invest our resources into pursuing our sin. And it requires our energy. And we don't have time to move forward in Jesus because we're invested in that. But same thing with laying aside the weight. We cannot lay aside our own sin. We can't do that because we're the problem and it ensnares you. It surrounds you and it clings to you. Like biblically, how it works, a couple of examples from the Bible is, talks about gossiping, the sin of that, and how it surrounds you, how it starts with one little thing, one little comment. And the Bible says that it's a spark that sets on the fires of hell like a forest fire. You don't know always what you're getting caught into or wrapped up in. It surrounds you and encircles you, stops you from moving forward. Or the sin of adultery a lot of times starts with one little comment. Someone maybe in the workplace says something to you and you like it, so now you turn to them and maybe pursue a relationship with them. Them, sin will surround us and encircle us and stop us from moving forward because it will take our eyes off of Jesus and focus it on that. And that's what we do with our own sinful nature is look at sin rather than Jesus. Because when we take our eyes off Jesus, we're looking at the world and the advice the world would give us. And the world, like I said earlier, is telling us you can only change your behavior. You can't change who you are. Who you are is who you are. Just deal with it. But Jesus' resurrection proves that he defeated sin. Jesus' resurrection proves that He's more powerful than sin and He is more powerful than death. And it proves that His death on the cross was enough to pay for your sins so you could lay it aside, so you could take on a new self empowered by the Holy Spirit, not being ensnared by sin, but being able to see it for what it is through the power of the Holy Spirit and move forward and move past it and lay it aside. Again, it's not easy. But when we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, that's the only way we can do it. We cannot lay aside our sin by looking at ourselves and saying, well, I need to do this, I need to do... We are the problem. We need to get that through our heads that the common denominator, the problem in our lives is us. And when we're looking at us and not Jesus, we can't move forward. We are stuck. We are surrounded by our sin. And sometimes, as Christians, we're satisfied with being freed from the payment of sin. Now, biblically, there's this the, the term justification. And justification is what happens when the Holy Spirit enters you and you accept Jesus as your Savior. You give your sin over to Him. You say, Jesus, I cannot save myself. I am sinful and I am destined for hell, but I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me and help me to walk with you. That's called justification. That's a one-time event where God says, 
you are innocent of the payment of your sins. You are guilty of your sins, but you are innocent of the payment. And a lot of times as Christians, that's what we're satisfied with. Yeah, and that's great. That means we have eternal life and we'll go to heaven and be with Jesus on the new earth. But that's not everything. That's not the end. That's the beginning. The Bible talks about after we are justified, the rest of our lives is called sanctification, where we grow in holiness and we can defeat sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where justification is being freed from the payment of sin, sanctification is being freed from the power of sin. You can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit when there's something else inside you that's greater than what's in the world. When the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is living in you and changing you in your heart, changing your desires, changing the things you love, changing the things you hate, making you a whole new person. That's the only way we can defeat sin. But the Bible says we work together with the Holy Spirit in that. That we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to be satisfied as Christians with just being justified. Again, we rejoice in that. That's our salvation. But we can have power over sin and we can move forward and we can move past it and the Holy Spirit can convict us when we're being surrounded by it and when we're being encircled by it and when sin is trying to hold us back, the Holy Spirit can tell us, no, that's sin. You need to look to Jesus and look to Jesus and He will help you get past those burdens and lay them aside. Again, it's not easy, but that's what the Bible tells us is we can move past the power of sin, not that we'll ever be perfect in this life. It's the third step in that glorification where we're freed from the presence of sin. That doesn't happen until the next life. But we can defeat sin by the power of Jesus, not entirely, but that's the only way we can move forward in it is by Jesus because when we're looking inward, it doesn't work. We can't keep our eyes on Jesus when our eyes are on sin. So let's always look to Jesus. Because that brings us to the next thing, third one. We look to Jesus so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. We can only run that race when we're looking to Jesus. We can only run the race that is set before us, our life. We can only run it with endurance when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Because you can't run a race with endurance with weights attached to you, with those burdens like we talked about. When those are, yeah, they're good for power walking, right? But they're not good for running a marathon. You wouldn't run a marathon with ankle weights and wrist weights on you. You'd want those burdens set aside so you can run with endurance. You can't set those aside without Jesus. So you cannot run the race set before us without Jesus. Because He will empower us to do it. And what's important about a race? For real, important, not not like, you know, me growing up and everyone ties for first and as long as you tried your best. No, that's not what's important. What's important about a race is how you finish. How do you finish the race? Where you're at the end of the race is much more important than where you start the race. You can start in first place lapping everyone, but if you don't finish the race, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You ran the race for nothing. So what matters is the end of the race. We run the race with endurance so that we can finish it, so we can finish strong with endurance. We can get to the end. Now the tricky part is, though, we don't know what's the end of our race. Jesus says, we don't know when our soul will be required of us. So we can only run with endurance if we're always pressing forward, if we're always fixing our eyes on Jesus, always turning to Him to lay aside every weight and lay aside every sin that ensnares us. 
We can only be running that way with our eyes fixed on Jesus, with the goal in mind fixed on Jesus. And keeping our eyes focused on Jesus is the only thing that keeps things in perspective. Because those burdens seem overwhelming. The sin seems overwhelming when it's up to us because we can't do it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is what puts it in perspective. It's for Jesus. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has paid the price for those things. I don't need to take those burdens on myself. If we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that is set before us, we see that even though we're burdened, our burdens make us stronger. Just like the ankle weights and the wrist weights, you wear those so you can be stronger when you take them off. Our burdens can actually serve to glorify God because He'll get us through and we'll see it was only Him who got us through that. That's the picture through the whole Bible. If we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that's set before us, we see that even though we sin, our sin is forgiven because God loves us while we were sinners. While we were sinners, Jesus came to the earth. God the Son comes to the earth to be fully man, fully God, to die on a cross, to be a perfect sacrifice while we are sinners. We do not have to lay aside these weights and lay aside these burdens and lay aside this sin before we can turn to Jesus. We can turn to Jesus anytime, anywhere, right now. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, our sin points us to that, that God loves us even though we were still sinners and are still sinners. And Jesus says, one of my favorite illustrations in the Bible is uh, the woman that the Pharisees were gossiping about and saying, Jesus, how can you let this sinful woman touch you? Don't you know that she's a sinner? And Jesus says, the more you're forgiven, the more you love. In our sin, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, even knowing the sin we've done, we know all the more we've been forgiven. And it causes us to love Jesus all the more and able to fix our eyes on him even more. We can't do that on our own. We can only do that with Jesus. And we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that is set before us. We see that even though we're hopeless, our hopelessness is what allows Jesus to change us. Knowing that we can't do it, Jesus will work on you and he'll change you by the Holy Spirit. If we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that is set before us, we see that even though we're weak, our weakness is where God's power is made perfect. It says that in 2 Corinthians, that if we boast in anything, let's boast in our weakness because God's power is made perfect in our weakness because God can use our weaknesses to glorify Him. And when we look at Jesus and see that, then our weaknesses, again, show us how much God does to let us lay aside our burdens and lay aside our weight because it's only Him. And our weakness actually shows how strong God is. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see that. If we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that's set before us, we see that even though there's turmoil in the church, Jesus is the head of the church, and he's the same yesterday and today and forever. See, Jesus is the head of the entire church, not just this body, but the church is all of his followers from all through time. Jesus is the head of that church, and Jesus decides, and Jesus is in charge, and we as the body of Christ work with the power of the Holy Spirit united, but Jesus is the head of the church. Even with all that's going on, we look at Jesus because he's the one in charge. It's not anyone, any one person. And whatever happens, Jesus is in charge, and Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus as we run the race that's set before us, 
We'll see that when our race is over, Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes and tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into your rest. Because that helps us keep it in perspective that Jesus knows all that we do for good and for bad. But even if no one notices it, even if no one sees you, Jesus does. And even if no one sees you crying and no one sees you going through these hard times, Jesus sees you and he'll wipe all the tears from your eyes and say, enter into your rest. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can see that we can see an end and that it's a good ending. But if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we can't run the race because our burden is too great. We can't lay aside those burdens on our own. If we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, our sins will ensnare us. The things that we love to do, you know, that's the thing about sin is we like to do it. If we didn't like it, we wouldn't keep doing it. And those sins will encircle you and surround you if you don't fix your eyes on Jesus. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you're hopeless. Because that's the problem. The main problem in your life is yourself. And that's the reason why you're going through these problems. Other people are involved, but the main thing is you. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, your strength will fail. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, rather than hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, you might hear, depart from me, I never knew you when you're done with your race. We keep our eyes on Jesus because he is our Savior and he is our God and he is the Lord of our life and not us. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. So why, to close, is it so important that we keep our eyes on on Jesus. I mean, the things I just said, yeah, only Jesus can do these things. But why Jesus over even my awesome wife? Why should I fix my eyes on Jesus over her? I was thinking if I should make a comment. I don't know. I always, I always struggle because I was going to say she's better to look at than Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should still fix my eyes on Jesus over my wife, over counseling, over you know, this psychology of the world, why we should fix our eyes on Jesus rather than all those other things, even if they are helpful. It's not that those things are bad. We can turn to those things. We can turn to friends. We can turn to pastors. We can turn to spouses. We can do all that. They're not bad. Not at all. But why Jesus over all those things? It says four things in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, that Jesus is the author of our faith. We looked at Jesus because he's the author. He's the beginner of our faith. He's the one who's written our faith. Because without him, without Jesus, our faith is religion. Religion is a derogatory term in the Bible generally. There's a few times it's used positively. But religion is usually used in a negative way, meaning it's something humans do. It's something we do to earn favor before God. And religion is about do this and don't do that. And if you do this, God will love you. If you don't do that, God will love you. Yeah. Uh, that it's just about doing and not doing and, and all that. That's what religion is and that's what every other belief system on this earth is except for Jesus. Because without Jesus, that's all this is. It's let's be good people. Let's try harder. How about you lay aside all your burdens better? It doesn't work. Without Jesus being the author of our faith because he died for our sins, that's all we have. It's morality. And the Bible says if Jesus didn't resurrect, we're more pitiable than anyone else on this earth. Because what's the point if Jesus is not the author of our faith? And if Jesus is not the author of our faith, then we are. And as I said, when our eyes are fixed on us, we don't have hope. It depends on us. It says also, we look unto Jesus because he is not only the author of our faith, but the finisher. 
Jesus begins our faith and finishes it. Without Jesus, we are no different than anybody else. Without Jesus, it's all up to us. And Jesus will finish. It says, if God has begun a work in you, he will see it through until completion. And Jesus will carry you to the end of your race. He will walk alongside you and bring you to the end of your race so you can run with endurance and help you remove all the weight and all the burden and all the sin. Because, like I said earlier, in this life we can be freed from the payment of sin when we give our sin over to Jesus and accept His righteousness. We can be freed from the power of sin when we're walking with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of our faith, when our faith we don't need faith anymore because now we have sight, the Bible says, and we see as, as we've been seen and our faith is replaced with sight. That's when our faith is finished. We don't need faith anymore because we see Jesus. We are with Jesus and he wipes all the tears out of our eyes. And now we are freed from the presence of sin. There is no more sin. Our sinful nature has been dealt with at the cross and everyone in God's kingdom has no sinful nature because it's been paid for. So he begins our faith and he finishes it when we see him face to face and all sin is gone and this world is back to as it should have been except for we chose to sin. We keep our eyes on Jesus rather than other things because it says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus endured the cross for us. And just like it says, we endure our race, Jesus endured his. Jesus endured the cross. And he despised the shame. And this is mind-blowing. If we think about the shame Jesus felt, so our shame could be removed. Jesus was arrested as innocent. He'd never done anything wrong. He was accused of doing wrong, betrayed by one of his closest followers. He experienced that. He was arrested. He was whipped. He was slapped. He was spit in the face. He was given a crown of thorns and mockery of his claim to be king. And he was hit in the head with his staff. He was put to shame. And then he was taken, all his clothes were taken off and he was whipped on the back. Four, or 39 times probably the Jewish custom, but they were Roman tortured, so who knows. He walked through the city carrying his cross. And no one, Jesus was known at the time and there was no real charge against him, but you could see his shame as he was bearing the cross. It's one thing we leave out a lot of times about crucifixion to be more proper is you're usually crucified naked as well. And there's shame in that, nailed to the cross naked, not way up high, but it's usually down at eye level so people could look at you and laugh at you like they did to Jesus. Jesus went through all that shame, but he despised it. He turned away from it. He didn't care about it is another way it could be translated. He despised that shame because rather than looking at the shame, he looked at the joy that Jesus came to this earth to free us from our sin and free us from our burden. It's not because we deserve it, but because he loved us first. It says that love in the Bible starts with God, not with us. And that while we were sinners, Jesus did this knowing because of his love for his people that that's the only way we could be freed from sin. The only way we could lay these things aside. So he despised that shame. He turned away from it and looked at the joy that was before him. And he endured the cross by keeping his eyes on his mission. Because as we are supposed to look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus constantly in his earthly ministry looked to his Father, our Father in heaven. And he fixed his eyes on that, knowing that this was the mission he came for. 
He came to this earth for this purpose, to live without sin and die so that we could be forgiven and freed from the power, presence, and penalty of sin. As Jesus says in John 12, 27, as he's about to be betrayed, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So when Jesus was in such turmoil and he was so burdened by the weight of the sin of the world that he was sweating drops of blood, the Bible says, and that from his human standpoint, maybe he might not have wanted to do that because he says, there's another way, Father, show me the other way, but your will be done. And this was the only way, the Bible says, if there's another way we could be freed of our sins, God wouldn't have come to pay for them. Jesus says, he doesn't pray, Father, save me from this hour, save me from this death. He says, this is why I'm here. This is my mission. And Jesus fixed his eyes on his Father as we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. By keeping our eyes, we run the race, we endure our race as Jesus endured the cross by fixing our eyes, keeping our eyes on him, on Jesus, so we can do our mission as he did his mission. Then it says, that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is, again, why we, to look to Jesus rather than these other things, primarily, again, the other things are helpful, but Jesus primarily, because Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, meaning Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven right now. And Jesus is coming back, not as a humble peasant in Israel, but as a glorious, victorious king, who came first to save the world, then he's coming to condemn it and take his people and have his kingdom on this earth and then we enter into the eternal state with him. Hey, Jesus right now is ruling and reigning and it says elsewhere in Hebrews that he is our great high priest and he sacrificed himself once for all and he prays for his people. Jesus prays for his people, it says. He intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. We fix our eyes on him because Jesus is the only mediator between us and God. Yet Jesus is all we need. Jesus has paid for our sin. He endured the cross. And he is sitting now at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling and reigning. So Christians, keep our eyes on Jesus. Like I said, in the bad times, we tend to look elsewhere before we look to Jesus. Even in the good times, we look, you know, who are we calling up and saying, let's celebrate the good news. Jesus of first importance. We look to Jesus. When things are hard, we look to Jesus because he puts it in perspective. Church, river, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the head of the church, not anybody else. Jesus is the head. We're looking at Jesus and we see his mission for us, then we have direction. It's by keeping our eyes on Jesus and only Jesus that we're able to lay aside every way, every burden, every sin, which ensnares us so that we can run our race that is set before us with endurance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, that you sent him to pay for our sins and that you've forgiven us through his sacrifice and that you accepted that sacrifice even though we're, we're sinful and we're ensnared by sin and all these weights, our burdens are on us. So Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would convict us of our sin and help us to just cast our burdens on Jesus and look to him in all these things, whatever we are going through in life, whether it's good or bad, that we would look to you, Jesus, more than we look to other things and we keep things in perspective by looking to you. 
We thank you that we're even able to look to you, that you've paid the price for our sins so we can talk to you, so that we can read about you and your word. And I just pray that we continue to walk in holiness and in unity as a body, as your body, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.